Welcome to Dharma If You Dare. I'm Christopher Lawley, Planet Dharma team member and producer of the podcast. In the last episode of Season 3, we heard Doug Capel-Duncan and Catherine Poisserat-Sensei speak about the ideas they lay out in their reflection entitled Spiritual Energy Traders from their book Wasteland to Pureland. If you haven't heard that talk yet, you can find it in the podcast episode list. It's entitled An Economic Revolution, Untangling Ourselves from Capitalism. In today's talk, we hear them go into this topic in more detail. They look at the unwholesome aspects of capitalism and how it reinforces negative patterns both in our individual lives and in our collectives, our communities, countries, and corporations. They outline suggestions for how we can shift our attitudes and behaviors to transform our world into a place where we are motivated by exploration, compassion, and a vision for humanity that is much bigger than ourselves. At the beginning of the talk, you'll hear Catherine Sensei mention the term spiritual sustainability, which is one part of the quadruple bottom line. Each of these four aspects are explained in detail later on in the talk. Sensei and Capel also briefly discuss the paramis. For more about the paramis, check out Season 3, Episode 4, entitled Become a Work of Art, Understanding the Six Paramis. Finally, just a reminder that our Patreon account has a growing selection of extended versions of episode recordings. The unedited version of this talk has an extra five minutes of material included in it. You can find our account at patreon.com slash planetdharma. And now here's today's recording. We'd like to suggest that there are three approaches to make a life way more interesting for yourself than it is under the capitalist model. First of all, you need to introduce spaciousness into everything you do, every time you do it, everything you do, everything you say. You gotta contact that empty, spacious mind of quietness as being almost more important, if not more important, than the busyness of your activities. That's the spiritual sustainability. This is the core of Dharma. This is the heart of Dharma, is the spacious, empty, silent mind. And meditation retreat is absolutely indispensable yeah. for cultivating that. That's why meditation is so important. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's possible to get that without meditation, do you mm, think? It's, no, probably not, in some form or other. The second part of it is we need a sense of discovery. We need a sense of exploration. Well, right now, the most exciting thing out there in terms of exploration is space. Because the rest of the world has been everywhere. We've sort of done everything. We've been to the bottom of the ocean. We've been to the top of the mountains. Mount Everest is a traffic jam. Humanity needs a vision that takes it beyond itself, outside itself, beyond just taking care of the house. And taking care of Earth is really important, but it's not a big enough vision for humanity. We need to take care of space. We need to go to the stars. I love the connection of the need for the contact with spaciousness with the contact need with to explore space. It gives us a I think that it gives cool. us a goal that's so far beyond ourselves. We don't have time to keep bitching at each other or bastarding at each it other. It does. It does give a good perspective, yeah, doesn't right. it? And then the third one is going to be, the, in some ways, the most difficult. I think the third thing that the planet really needs is non-definitional terms of relationship. We need to drop these terms like husband, wife, boss, employee, white, 
black, brown, female, male, daughter, son, have I missed any? <laughs> yeah, millions. We need to drop all these terms and just talk to Kakum or Karen or Kara or David or Duncan or Maureen just as they are without all these labels of identification and separation and isolation. Also really ties to ownership, right? Because you are my, my partner wife, or you are my friend. Or... My child, mm -hmm. my money, my car, my house, my partner. These are isolatory and they're capitalist. And if we want a revolution that changes the planet, we just meet the consciousness that appears in front of us as is and drop the labels. Drop the defining characteristics. I'm with you, I'm not with you. Your friend, your enemy. You're on my side, you're against me. I'm with you, I'm opposed to you. Gotta go. That links so well with the spaciousness also, right? Yeah. Because it just introduces a kind of fluidity. You're the namaste, the deity that's appearing before me in this moment. And what would that do for loneliness? Because you couldn't go, I'm me, either. That's the last hook on adopting non-referential relationship non-terms. <laughs> I gotta work this one out better <laughs> in terms of presenting it. Because you can no longer say, I'm me and you're you. And that's the teaching of non-duality. And that's non-duality. And that's the end of capitalism. So since I mentioned earlier, we're big fans of trusting in the universe and tying up your camel. Mm. So circling back around, capitalism really thrives with a scarcity mindset. So we only feel we need to get more if we're afraid of having less. If you feel like you have enough, then you're not driven by this pathological need to accumulate. That said, financial maturity entails looking after the details and, and you know, making sure one's ducks are in a row, for sure. We're big fans of that, too. So to address the elephant in the room, we are not suggesting that we make the teaching and the teachers a mere monetary exchange. But since money is a measure of our current value right, in society, shouldn't we apply to that which is the most precious on our planet? So obviously, things like environmental health, refuges for different species, like the game preserves of Africa, limits on human population, just saying, look, we can't afford seven or 10 or 20 billion people on the planet. These kinds of ecology, these kinds of environmental and social responsibility are in the best interests of everybody. But fundamentally, the awakening of beings is what we're on about. The number one reason for being human is to awaken. And in order to awaken, a revolution needs to occur in your own mind. And that revolution is you're not in it on your own. You are not by yourself. You are not an isolate. You're a part of a seven billion limbed organism. And we're going to have to start acting like it, not just the hundred people who live in your valley or the million people who live in your city. So we've expressed in our bottom lines, our quadruple bottom line, we think we've covered most of it. Spiritual, environmental, financial, and social. So Sustainability, or we like to say generativeness. Generativeness. Being generative in all those areas. Yeah. So 
environmentally that's the planet but it's also your backyard the economic is ways of earning money that support each other so that we can work together to create a, a livelihood and a occupation and careers that aren't just reliant on you if you get sick you're done for that you have a group of people who are working in the same area and field as you so that your economics isn't all weighted down on you like the Hutterites or the Dukabors or the Mennonites or clear um, sky clear sky clear skyites social <laughs> clear skyites social responsibility again that idea that we're in it together working together so again you're not an island and then the spiritual sustainability or spiritual generativeness and I think that goes to speaking to when we do the first three the fourth is almost automatic it's almost a natural progression we feel often we can't devote as much time to the spiritual life as we like because we're too busy making money or we're too busy paying the bills or we have responsibilities with our families that are somehow separate from our spiritual life and what we're arguing is that if you had those three together the spiritual sustainability generative would be much easier. Now, in that sense, we're neo-socialists. We're new socialists, not socialists a la the labor unions and communism and the early 20th century, but new age socialism in the sense of not having a unions versus a management because socialism arose within the confines of capitalism. And we're saying, no, no, Socialism as a completely other system than capitalism, not fighting against capitalism, but kind of a replacement value. The people who stepped into socialism were, were basically fighting against capitalism or fighting for their part That's of capitalism. And we're actually saying, no, for socialists, we're actually building something for. That's right. That's a really good point. Not fighting against something, but... Fighting for something. Building something positive. Yeah. Yeah. So currently, a great breakthrough would be if a lot of this is done willingly by all of us, that we just decide that we're going to do it. And this is happening. And one super example that some of you may be familiar with is the Whole Foods story when it was still an independent company. They just they got bought by Amazon, who we were just talking really? about how terrible Amazon is. So I'm not sure what's going to happen with that. But in 2004... The average Fortune 500 CEO received a salary that was 431 times larger, 431 times larger than their average employee. That's 2004. However, the CEO of Whole Foods at the time, his salary was only 14 times larger. And that was done voluntarily. And he set up the rules. He's like, this is how we're going to do it. Oh, and then in 2007, he figured he had earned enough money, both with his salary and his stocks, which were similarly capped, so that his stocks were in a similar proportion to the stocks of the average employee. So in 2007, he began taking a salary of $1 a year, because he said, I've got enough money. And he says, I'm just having a good time being in charge of this awesome company. So he did inspire some other CEOs to do the same. So there's... A, least nine CEOs that have $1 annual salaries of big Fortune 500 companies. So that's cool. 
and yay, celebrate that, woohoo. And uh, we also still need to, this is the tie up the camel part, we also need to have our discernment because the other nine CEOs, they only get a dollar a year in salary, but they do have you know, huge amounts of stock options that are not commensurate with their $1 annual salary. And there's the energy trader principle again. The idea that I'm gonna get a bit more or a lot more than the next person. But the point is, is it can be done. The point is it can be done and the point is, is, is we need to be smart about this and pay attention to the details and not be bamboozled by smoke and mirrors. Okay, so we started this out at some point tonight with I, me, and we. So therefore, our curative prescription needs to address this I, we, uh, apparent dichotomy. So we have some ideas. How do we get to a more egalitarian society? The me and the we. It sounds like a song, me, we, or something, we. So let's start with the individual. First, the me, the I. Well, one of the quickest ways you can develop a more egalitarian society is the practice of dana. It's the first parami, and it's the first parami for a reason. Cultivate a life of dana practice. Support growth and unfoldment over accumulation. Think okay. about it. I'd like to just add another word about dana. So, yeah. so dana is the first of six virtues or perfections, also known as parami, and we're teaching a course on those next month, Becoming a Work of Art, classic Buddha foundation, Buddhist foundation. The f and the reason that dana is the first parami is that if we can perfect this virtue, the other ones just follow like little ducklings or like dominoes. If we can perfect dana, all the other ones will fall into place. That's why the dana practice is so important and so profound. Like, have you ever really thought about how can I be generous in this situation? Yeah, too true. And in terms of practical speaking, you're not gonna perfect dana before you work on all the others. So you have to work on developing the others. Mm -hmm. But once you perfect dana, the others five fall into place. So you have to work on patience and energy and concentration and so on. That's right. So, Donna practice. Then teach environmental and social skills early. How to take care of the environment. I think they're doing that now in, in public schools with low grades. <coughs> they're, they're taking them out on nature walks and doing things like this. But when I was a kid, there was no representation of nature at all except biology or something, right? Maybe botany, but it was more like by way of business than it was by way of environment. And I think that's changing, so that's good. And social skills. Do we teach social skills in school yet? Or do we just teach people how to behave? Do we teach them social skills or do we just tell, teach them how to hold their aggression or their frustration or not get angry? The interesting thing is, is that Harvard MBA program, I think it's the Harvard, or maybe it's MIT, one it, of those it schools. It is Harvard. Harvard, mm -hmm. Harvard MBA program is deciding that in order to get into their Masters of Business Ad Administration program, the number one skill they need are social skills. Everything else can be taught. So it's catching on. It's not like what we're saying is off the wall. Harvard, 
is agreeing with us that social skills are the number one important ingredient for doing business. If I can flesh yeah. that out a little bit, mm -hmm. I think they said they were finding that their most successful graduates were people who came from the nonprofit sector. Right. Because those people arrived with well-developed social skills and they found that the, the curriculum couldn't really teach those. So it wasn't like how high your test scores were or how great your grades were. Can we talk about more about our recommendations? We can. Okay. So environmental and social skills. And we are big fans of encouraging non-nuclear relationships. It's just is not kind to put all of our emotional and psychological needs onto one other person or to keep it contained with a small nuclear family. We call it ghettoizing. Ghettoizing your human relationships, putting them in a little small neighborhood in a little small box. And that's the power of community where we can have our emotional, social, and psychological needs met by a group, uh, hopefully a diverse group of people. It'll certainly decrease the number of fights. You'll, you'll be too busy fighting with a whole bunch of other people than just your one partner. You gotta share your fighting around. Children can have a lot of role, different role models, right. for example. Another, okay. another mm -hmm. one is Please. appreciate the talent of others. Mudita. Start, mudita. Start enjoying other people's abilities rather than feeling they're competitive or competitions for you. Do you support each other's talents or do you try to get the top hand right, to be the smarter or the more together or whatever? And then having the discernment and the humility to listen to the clearest and most compassionate voice in the room. How do you know who has the clearest and most compassionate voice in the room? the one with the most spaciousness in the mandala. The person with the most spaciousness in the situation has probably the clearest voice. We're back to it. Okay, so at the society or communal level, what kind of things would we do? Prioritizing education. Prioritizing education. As well as social and environmental responsibility as, as really foundational building blocks of any, any culture or society. Make education at the school level, school education, collaborative and cooperative rather than competitive. I was told that every kid in grade three knows very clearly that school is a competition and you're either winning or losing or somewhere in the middle. Let's change that one. Supporting a culture that appreciates voluntary limits on wealth accumulation. And that's that Whole Foods example. I think even beyond this, uh, or to extend it, it's voluntary limits on your idea of wealth. How much time do you need for you? How much resources do you need for you? How much for me, for me, for me does it need to go on in a day? How much me time do you need? How much me doing my thing do you need? And, and who's subsidizing that? And who's subsidizing Because <clears throat> somebody that is. Thing? So particularly in developed countries, um, supporting a culture that voluntarily limits our population. In developing countries, we consume more than our fair share of resources per capita. And we have the social systems to support us that they may not have in developing countries. The family, family provides that function in a lot of developing countries. Another big one for the we is human population limits. We do have to embrace the idea that humanity does not have the right to cause the extinction of any 
other of other species. species. Yeah, really, speciesism. And the more we grow, the only animals left on the planet are going to be the ones we eat or use. And kitties. And kittens and dogs. Who Judging by the number of Facebook likes. We don't have the right to eliminate species. Nobody gave us that right. No. And by extension, birth control in America was illegal in 1920. It was against the law. You know, abortion or birth control pill. Birth control pill was against the law. Contraception was against the law. And women were enslaved. Six, seven kids, worn out. So population control. Another one. We're strong supporters of developing biomimicry. Nature is really the ultimate designer. We think of all the awesome things that nature does with minimal inputs. And the other two I think we've mentioned. More flexibly human defined human relationships right. and, and exploring explore space. space. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please rate and review Dharma If You Dare on your favorite podcast app to help more people find and benefit from these teachings. And don't forget to subscribe to get episodes and bonus content sent directly to your device. Today's episode covers ideas that Capel and Sensei explore in detail in their best-selling book, Wasteland to Pureland. The third section of the book is entitled Crazy Wisdom and covers a wide variety of topics, including the shadow, tantra, and money, sex, and power. Podcast listeners can download a free chapter from this section of the book by visiting planetdharma.com slash crazywisdom. See you next time, and may all our efforts benefit all beings.